All right. So we are going to read Luke 15, 11 through 24. So if you want to open your Bibles, you can go ahead. All right. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He had began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will send out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and saw and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Those sons said, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. John Stott wrote this in his book, I Believe in Preaching. It was written in 1982. I think you'll find this interesting. Kind of sets the stage for what we're going to do in the next couple of moments. It is difficult to imagine the world in the year 2000. <laughs> By which time, versatile microprocessors will likely be as common as simple calculators are today. This will lead to the probable reduction in human contact, as the new electronic network renders personal relationships ever less necessary. In such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important, whose members meet one another and talk and listen to one another in person rather than on screen. In this human context of mutual love, the speaking and hearing of the Word of God is also likely to become more necessary for the preservation of our humanness 
not less. Wow. 1982, that was written. Well, when we look at this parable of Jesus about the prodigal son, I would say there was, there's no more parable, there's no greater parable when it comes to really centralizing the gospel, to really understand it in a story form, in a very compact illustration than the prodigal son. Probably if you were to ask people about all the parables that Jesus taught, even people that don't go to church, they might know this one. Somehow, some way, it's been communicated. Not only is this not an actual event that Jesus is talking about, it is a parable, and yet we've seen it lived out for centuries and centuries in individual lives and perhaps even in the context of families. This separation and then reuniting, it is the gospel in a nutshell, and it shows us just how powerful our Father is to bring us redemption. It's interesting that I did not tell uh, Micah and Whitney what I was going to be preaching on today, but there certainly was a lot about the Father here, wasn't there? That's interesting how the Holy Spirit works that out, right? In all of our lives, we deal with struggle and pain and difficulty, and it is the reality of life on this planet in the condition that we are in. But Jesus does not want us to live in the isolation and the loneliness and the emptiness and the depression and the soul sickness that we see this young son, this prodigal living in. And every one of us were born into that state of prodigalism and we are there also by choice and yet we have a God who redeems us and brings us back. And as we are talking about discipleship, all of our study and interaction and experience and all of our two-for-two two getting together, all of the things that we do, if we become slightly off base with the gospel, then it's all for nothing because the gospel is central to God and what his plan is for us. And so today we're going to focus in on the gospel and as disciples of Christ and those who are studying and learning and growing and walking with Christ, if what is central to him must be central to us, and that is, of course, the gospel. I want to bring out three important things in this uh, context of this parable and then finalize it with three different things that we'll focus in on. Number one is the prodigal starts there with the word give me, two words give me. Verses 11 and 12 for whatever reason, whatever's going through his mind, whatever's happening, he comes to this conclusion that he needs to go to his father and he needs to say, give me. Aren't we all born that way, right? If, you know, all, all parents and teachers and all are going, yep, sure enough, uh, we're born that way. It's give me. And, and you know, babies have this unique in, uh, uh, understanding. They don't care whether it's time for you to eat. If it's time for them to eat, it's not time for you to eat. They don't care if it's time for you to sleep. If they're awake, you're going to be awake because it's me. It's all about me. We're born that. It's all about me. And then as children, it's, it doesn't change a whole lot. <laughs> and then slowly it begins to change and it begins to change and it begins to change. And if by the time you're an adult, it's still a little bit about me, generally people get married and then they really realize, oh, whoa. You mean there's another human being that has a voice? Yeah, the one you love, the one you, you committed to, the one you said I do to. 
And that's when God really develops this um, understanding of actually how selfish we really are because now we're married and there's another person in the equation. And so he works on us through marriage. It doesn't have to be marriage, but many times it is. And then if we still have a little bit of selfishness, out pops a baby, and then, it, and then all the selfishness just goes away because we realize, whoa, there are other people depending on me. At least that's his plan. You all okay today? You, you all right? Am I, am I meddling too much? This prodigal starts off by saying it's all about me. Give me, give me, give me. It's what Judas went to the religious leaders and said. He said, what will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you, if I point him out to you? What will you give me? We say about uh, marriage and life, even in the church body, you can be selfish or you can be happily married, but you can't be both. You can be selfish and you can be a part of a loving, growing church and be integrated and united and happy within that church, but you can't have both of those. Because as the body of Christ, we are giving and receiving, but we're not giving and taking. We're giving and receiving. That's the way marriage is to be as well. It is the giving and receiving. And so God is trying to bring that issue before us straight up and say, hey, selfishness is not my plan for your life. I have a better plan for your life than selfishness. It's not all about you. It's actually integration between giving and receiving. So the prodigal starts off by saying, give me. But then we look there at verse number 17, and and, and it's like, search me. All of a sudden, he comes to his self. He comes to his senses, and he begins to realize, whoa, I I need to re-examine my life mission, my, my direction, my direction I'm going in. I need to re-examine all of this because what I've been doing isn't working out. Isn't it one of the saddest things when you see someone that you love, maybe it's a person in your family or maybe it's a neighbor or even maybe somebody at church, and, and you see that the direction that they're going in isn't working and it's not going to work and everyone sees it except them. They just don't see it. This guy saw it, though. He came to the realization, this is not working. I am without money. I am a servant slash slave. And I am a, probably in in the context, a good Jewish young man feeding pigs who Jehovah says are unclean. And I'm not even supposed to be around them or touch them. And yet here I am. Because of my life's decisions, because of my selfishness, I find myself in that situation. But he comes to himself and he begins to like search himself and he's saying, okay, God, what what am I going to do here? What is the best thing for me to do? We have to come to ourselves and stop blaming other people for our mistakes. Stop blaming other people for our conditions. Isn't it liberating when we finally come to that realization where we go, you know what? I've been blaming everybody else for all my problems, but the problem is not everyone else. The problem is is right here, I've made decisions, they weren't good ones, and I'm suffering for them. We feel like that's going to condemn us, and yet it does the exact opposite. It frees us up to go, I am the problem. And so, God, I'm not coming to you talking about that person and that person and that group who messed me up. I'm coming to you saying, God, I made some mistakes. I'm the one that needs your grace, and I'm the one that needs your forgiveness. And that is so liberating. It does not bring us into bondage but it brings us into liberty. The issue is not what everyone else is doing. 
But the issue is what we have done. When we are at the end, when we are at the end, that's when we receive revelation. When we come to the end of our complaining, when we come to the end of our blaming, when we come to the end of ourselves and we come to our senses, that's when we receive revelation. That's what happened with this guy. Revelation comes to us in in a lot of different ways. For him, it was actually food. (laughs) Food brought him a revelation. He's in the middle of feeding pigs what what I guess farmers used to call slop, right? It's just whatever. (laughs) It's just slop. And you just feed it out to the pigs because they say pigs will eat anything. And it was in the process of something so simple that he got this revelation. He wasn't deep in prayer. He hadn't been fasting for three days because he was wanting to draw close to God. He was just feeding pigs. And in that moment, God gives him that revelation. He all of a sudden comes to himself and he realizes, wait a minute, what am I doing? Where am I at? What's going on? And what am I going to do about it? Sometimes we think that only a a revelation from God or a change in our lives can can come after a lot of work and a lot of diligence and I've got to read 14 books and I've got to watch a YouTube thing and I've got to do this and I've got to talk to that and I've got to... And sometimes revelation just comes to us in the simplest moments where we're just living life and we're recognizing, God, you have a better plan for my life than this. And that's what happened with this guy. He's just, food brought him a revelation. Wait a minute. Um, My father has hired servants and they have plenty to eat. Maybe I could get back in that situation. That revelation comes to him. But then he had to act on it. Not only could that revelation come to him, hey, I need to go back to my father, but then he had to act on it. Now, don't answer this question, but how many of you can look back at your life and you can see a a point in your life where you could have maybe made an investment into a particular company like Home Depot, but you didn't? Or Apple, but you didn't? You could have made a particular decision, but for some reason you didn't. And then when you look back on your life, you go, oh, if I would have just, right? And there are times in our lives when we need to act and when we have gotten a revelation from God, if you will, if we've come into our senses, if we've we've realized this isn't working and I need to, that's the moment when you've got to act and you've got to act quickly. And that's what this guy did. There was an action that he had to take. And that's what leads us to point number three, and that is make me. In verses 18 and 19, he goes to the father, and he's already rehearsed his speech, and his words are, Father, make me. Make me. He didn't, he didn't say, Father, I deserve. You know, no, Father, this is what you're going to do for me. Instead, he came and he said, make me. Make me. And you know, that's the way we come to the Father. We come with with saying, yes, Lord, please, I need forgiveness. And Lord, I need your grace. But the whole effort for that is because we recognize what we've been doing isn't working. So God, make me, make me, make me. Do something in my life that will revolutionize where I'm at and who I am. So Lord, would you please make me? Make me one of your children. Make me a servant. Make me. 
form me, shape me. And that's what discipleship is really all about. It's just saying, God, I'm on this, this constant journey of surrender to you so that you can make me who you have designed for me to be, so I can do what you've designed for me to do. Lord, would you make me, form me, shape me? I'm so thankful for Hope Crossings because we have um, people who are just young and starting off, and then we have those who've been around for a little while, and I'm joining that club all the time, every, every year that goes by. Yeah, we've, we got some people... 92 years old, our oldest uh, member. And then uh, this Tuesday, pray for Michelle. She's going to birth out our next uh, member. And Tuesday's the day for Michelle Davenport. So be praying for her, please. I love the fact that we at Hope Crossings realize that it, it, you don't reach a certain level and go, okay, I'm good now. All right, I'm good. I don't really need church anymore. I don't need life groups anymore. I don't need Bible studies anymore. I'm good. We, we never reach that point. Where we can go, okay, everything, everything's done. We're always saying, God, continue to make me, continue to form me and shape me, continue to, to just guide me and lead me so that I make good decisions on the day in which I should, in the season in which I should. But this shows plainly this prodigal son who comes to his senses, but then he has to act on what he has decided it would be better for me to go to my father, but then he's got to act on that, and he's got to act on it right away. This shows us that even our neighbors, our family members, whoever they are, who are out in the society, out in sin, they come to the realization where this isn't working, they must make a decision in that moment. There are some who would believe that it's just all God. God just reaches down and, and grabs us and pulls us into the kingdom, proverbially, because he has sovereignly predestined them before the world began. But yet this shows us that even in the state of what we would call deadness, which is what the father described this prodigal son as, here's my son, he was dead, now he's alive. Even in deadness, we come to that realization, dead in our sins, we come to the realization I've got to go to God, and that's what this man did. This son said, I'm going to my father. And he acted in that moment. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my father. But restoration always depends on the father. Wouldn't this parable be uh, uh, much different if in this moment when the son comes back to the father... If the father, in the parable, if the father would have said, yeah, uh, no, yeah, I don't, I, no, I, you hurt my feelings, you took my money, you rejected my name, you rejected my fortune, you, re you went off and did your own thing, yeah, I don't think so. This would be a much different parable, wouldn't it? Restoration is always dependent on God. The parable. The father could have said, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But then the parable would not represent God very well, would it? So is God like that? Is God like what I just described in a hypothetical situation? Is God like this? Here comes one person, God, please forgive me. And he goes, yes, 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 yes. Here comes another person, please forgive me. No. Is God like that? That's the question. 
Because it is God who is responsible for restoration, not us. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't can't demand it. It is up to God to bring restoration. How do we know if God is not like that? From his word. Not from my experience or your experience or anyone else's experience. We know it from the word. And what does the word say? Twice, Acts 2.21 and Romans 10.13. Everyone, I just want to ask you to say that word. Everyone. Let's say it again. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The parable properly represents God in his restoration power and his desire to to bring into redemption, to bring back to himself those who have gone astray. The word of God declares anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who come to God, he will never go, no. He will always say, come on, come on, let's go, come on. You're not coming to me the like the perfect way. You didn't say the proper sinner's prayer. God didn't make up the sinner's prayer. We did. He's looking for somebody to come with a heart that says, God, make me. And he goes, yes, yes. He's not looking for the perfect person to come in the perfect way on the perfect day, on the perfect event. There's no such thing. He is the one who's perfect. We come to him in imperfect ways, with imperfect hearts, with imperfect minds, everything about us except the fact that we've come to our senses and we've said, God, living with you, you making me is better than me going out making myself. And so he says, everyone who calls on me will be saved. And that's the beauty of our God, the power of our God. In 1 Peter 5, 10, look at this verse. And the God of all grace who called you. I want you to just sink, let that sink in for a moment. The God of all grace, who called you and you and you and you and you and you and every, the God of all grace, who called you. He didn't just think about you. He called you. There's a call that goes out. God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Not his momentary glory. Not a flash in the pan glory. Not a thing that's there today and gone tomorrow. But his eternal glory in Christ. We get so wrapped up in Am I blessed in this world? Do I have enough money in this world? Do I have enough stuff in this world? Do I have, am I big enough? Am I strong enough? Am I whatever enough? We got it so wrapped up in this world, and yet he's called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Don't we teach our children that we're, they're only in our house for a short period of time, but they're going to be out of our house a lot longer Can we teach ourselves that maybe? We're only going to be on this planet for a little bit of time. For eternity. There there is no stop. There is no measurement. It's just eternity. We're here on this earth for a short period of time. God's called us to an eternal glory in Christ. Eternal. After you have suffered 
a little while. He doesn't say, you know, hey, you come, come join me and it's all going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. He says, there's going to be, there's going to be some tests. There's going to be some suffering. It's, it's not always going to be easy, but it's worth it. He says, you're going to suffer a little while, but then what happens? Will himself restore you? I love the fact that though God delegates, God is a wonderful master delegator, but it says he himself will restore you. He does not delegate that. He doesn't go, hey, okay, yeah, you go over and deal with that. He goes, no, no, no. Every person who comes and calls on my name, I will redeem them personally. It's powerful. Let's read it from the start all the way through to the end so we can get to that end part. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you, remember what the prodigal said, make me, he said, I'm gonna, he's going to make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's the, that's the journey, the life of a disciple. He makes us strong and firm and steadfast. Three quick things, and we're going to have a time of prayer. Three quick things. Number one is the grace perspective. God rescues us. That is a gift from God. We haven't earned it, deserved it. There's nothing about us that, uh, that is worthy of it. He just comes along and he says, it's the grace. I just give you that grace. It's the grace perspective. That's why we, we spend time praising and thanking, thank, being thankful and so appreciative to God because of his grace. Secondly is the eternal perspective. I will live forever with Jesus. And all who are in Christ will live forever with him in his, in his presence, in his majesty, in all of his responsibilities throughout this universe and this galaxy and the galaxies beyond. We will live forever with him. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our pre present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have that perfect work. It brings us that perseverance, that patience that keeps us moving forward. The third thing is the power perspective. That power to restore. The power to restore is vast. You cannot restore something unless you have the goods. It was a, years ago, I had a weak moment. I was at a, actually at a garage sale, and I bought this uh, Singer sewing machine cabinet. It was as black as night. It was old. And I just had this, I don't know, I never restored anything in my life. I had never restored anything. But I thought, I want to restore that. So I bought it for like 10 bucks. And I brought it home, and I took it apart, and I stripped it down. I sanded everything, and I stained it, and I urethaned it, and I put it all back together again. That's probably 30 years ago. We still have it. But there were two things that I had to have to restore that. One was a little bit of money. I had to buy some sandpaper and some stain and varnish. That wasn't the big thing. But I had to invest the time, and I had to invest the energy. 
And why would I do that? Because I wanted to. God has everything that it takes to restore your life. The payment of Jesus' blood on the cross is complete payment enough, and he paid it. He didn't delegate that. He paid it. And he wants to restore you. He's longing to restore. He's wanting to restore your family. He's wanting to restore those who were lost. He restores us because he wants to. And he has all the goods to do, and he has all that he needs to do that. He restores us personally. We are in positionally perfect children of God. We're not perfect. We are positionally perfect because he makes us his children. We are positionally perfect. Three things there at the end of that verse. He says, now he restores our strength, our stability, and our foundation. He restores your strength. Are you needing strength today? God says, I've got it for you. He says, man, if you, are, do you need stability? He's going to make us firm. Stability. Are you, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, on, un, I'm on. God will make you strong and stable in his presence. And then the foundation is just simply steadfastness. He is our foundation. That is central to the gospel. We go off and do our own thing, but we come to our senses. We come to him and he says, now I'm going to put you on a solid situation. I'm going to put you on a, on a sure path. And that's discipleship. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, my question would be to us is like, where are you at in this process? And I know who I'm talking to today. I know, I know who I'm talking to. My encouragement to us today is let's not just kind of lean back and go, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm at the early service, man. I'm good. I think we need to say, you know what, I'm at the early service. I'm getting, this first, I'm getting the first blow on this so I can use the rest of my, life, the rest of my day to, to lean into that. And we just got to lean into God. That's what I want us to do today is just lean into God. To remember what we were like before we were saved and remember the process and the journey that he's been taking us on all these years. And where are we at right now? Where are you at? Where am I at right now? And we're not at the end of the journey. We're not at the end. Some, some of us are closer to, to, than others to this journey on this planet during this time. But no matter how old you are, how long you've been serving Christ, you're not at the end. You're just in a season. And so let's lean into that season. And let's leverage the season that we're in. If you have wisdom, leverage that wisdom. If you have experience, leverage that experience. If you don't have either one of those, leverage the people around you and draw from them and say, disciple me. I, I want to grow. I want to learn. I would ask you, who's discipling you today and who are you discipling? Let's lean into the season that we're in. Amen.